Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, yes, your friend Ben back here from 1510, the all-new WMEX Sports Podcast Network. Causeway Kings here with Merrill, the Marshal, here in town. Merrill, how are you? Doing great. A lot to get into. We uh, we just crowned, or the NHL just crowned a Stanley Cup champion. Uh, Bruins have got some big news on a couple of different fronts, and um uh, to cap it all off, I just want to say, uh, you know, me and my wife are expecting our first child, me and Katie. So uh, a lot of exciting, uh, a lot of excitement right now. So congratulations. Be, uh, fun summer for sure. No doubt. No doubt. You little devil. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll see. We'll see what, if the, what the little devil is. If it's a boy or a girl, we'll see. Well, congratulations. I just hope they are health. Hope. hope they are healthy and can speak properly, unlike me. All I right. hope they're healthy and they have as much fun as Brady to Chuck at a at his brother's hockey game. So there you go. I wish everybody yeah. could have that level of fun. Here on oh, Causeway yeah. Kings, we try to have as much fun as possible. And don't forget, folks, you can always go to our website and check out more information and stream the station live at wmexboston.com. Well, as we know, as you said, Merrill, the Colorado Avalanche have become the king of the mountain officially, and after 21 years. They are the Stanley Cup champions once again. And uh, a defeated Tampa Bay Lightning will remain three-time champions. If you remember, it's not their, uh, not, you know, they have three total. But, yeah, uh, rough, rough way to be. And the injury list came out. Did you get a chance to see that? I did not. I, heard, I oh. saw Patrick Maroon allude to it. Uh, there must have been some, uh, some doozies. Oh, it was brutal. It was brutal. There, it was eight, eight names long. Uh, and you were seeing things like torn ACL, meniscus, separated shoulders, broken bones. Uh, I mean, I don't have the list in front of me here, but the list was gruesome. Uh, I mean, Braden Point, I'm seeing, had a, had a tear in his quad. Yep, quad tear. Significant quad tear. Uh, required immediate surgery. Uh, there were broken feet. There were broken everythings. Nikita I mean, Kucherov sprained MCL. Um, it's amazing these guys were standing in most cases. Yeah, uh, Mar- uh, Pierre Edward Belmar uh, MCL sprain. Um, yeah, just um, unbelievable laundry listed injuries. But you know, it, it just goes to show. And, and I know, obviously, Colorado has had a lot of injuries too. You know, everyone saw uh, Valerina Chushkin's foot. Uh, before the game, um, obviously Nazem Kadri, uh, his thumb injury, and then amazingly being able to shoot that puck, dangle through two Tampa Bay Lightning, get uh, Sergachev on his back, and then roof it, uh, Patrick Kane style, where no one knew where it was. Like it just goes to show you how great the game of hockey is, um, how much these guys lay it on the line, who are willing to basically shorten their careers, really when you look at it with some of these injuries, these guys are taking the ice with to try and win a Stanley cup. And, um, you know, we, as fans, you know, and, and you know, we're fans of the game. We're not fans of, you know, obviously the avalanche or lightning, but we're fans of the game. And we, and that is a, just an amazing amount of respect that we have for those guys. Um, true ice gladiators really. And, um, I know they get paid well for it, but um, yeah, I just want to say, hey, hats off. It was a great cup final. It really ended up being a great playoff. Um, I just wanted to see a game seven. I don't think there's anything like a game seven. It didn't end up happening, but um, 
it was uh it was amazing hockey and uh you know i, I ben i just want to get your thoughts on it i mean they, they laid, laid it on the line every single night so both teams did so and to get to that point too they had to go through some really good teams to get there so absolutely crazy that what what every team that participated in the 2022 playoffs went through honestly nobody had it easy this was really one of the first years of playoff hockey where i can honestly tell you even the sweeps you know even the total blowout games all of it was just so exciting it was some of the best overall hockey I've seen in a long time. And, I mean, stop me if I'm wrong, but I was watching every game I could. First time in a long time. I'm a busy dude. I barely have time to, you know, for myself. And I made time for the NHL playoffs because the hockey was that good. I mean, what do you th- your thoughts on that? Absolutely. It was must-watch TV. I mean, this year, I think... Uh, you know, I always watch the NHL playoffs, but this year I feel like more than any, I was just captivated by, you know, there were so many great stories, the super, the superstar named talent. Like you had McDavid in the Western conference finals. You had that loaded Rangers team in the Eastern conference finals. Like it was so much drama. It was so much drama. There were big hits. There were questionable calls. There were injuries. There were great goaltending, like everything you could possibly want in a playoff came together and um obviously we want the Bruins to win I think it might be a little tough for them uh this coming year we'll get into that but I mean just as a fan of the game I mean how could you not I mean in spite of Gary Bettman the NHL is is I think overall in a really good spot the the actual game you know the the the, the physical game of hockey I think is in a is in a great spot with these star players and you know, I, it'll be interesting to see now. You know, I, I think Tampa took it as far as they could. I think they'll be back next year and be right in the middle of it. But, um, you know, it's going to be – there's going to be a lot of teams vying, you know, that, that are going to be thinking that they're contenders and rightfully so. Like, if you're Edmonton, even though you got swept, that was a that was probably the closest series that was a sweep that I've ever seen. I mean, that that – I mean, Edmonton, I think, had leads in three of those four games, including Game Four. They were they were big up, leads. You know, they were you know, they went up like three nothing, four nothing. And uh, you know, Edmonton, they're gonna they're gonna feel like they're in it. The Rangers, obviously, with all that with all that talent, they're gonna uh, they're gonna feel like they can uh, they can make the next step. Obviously, they have the Vesna Trophy winning goalie, and then you know, don't sleep on you know Carolina Hurricanes. They lost in a Game Seven in the second round, and. I mean, even the Florida Panthers, like they got a new coach now. They're gonna they're gonna look to try and make some moves, uh, you know, and, and recalibrate. So it's a it's a very interesting it's it's a really interesting time. There's a lot of teams with a lot of talent around the league, and even some of the teams that missed the playoffs that are on the cuff on the cusp. Like, would you be shocked if the Vegas Golden Knights didn't put up a hundred points and get right back in the playoffs and make a run next year? I wouldn't. Right. I mean, they so like, they were seriously disappointed, especially this year, uh, not even making the playoffs. I mean, the problem is when the bar is set high, Merrill, and they reach the first time, it stings that much more when they don't, I notice. And, man, uh, good luck to them is all I can say. While we continue to take a quick look around the league at this point, we'll get to the Bruins in just a little bit. Uh, there's a bunch of teams 
that, as you said, Merrill, they've got a lot of young talent. The league is absolutely doing one of those weird changes again where the content of the majority of the players are smaller, faster, and they come with the skill. Uh, players like Pat Maroon, for example, and Sean Thornton, a legend, you know, obviously. Players like that, that style of hockey is being pushed out. It's just not going to win you anything anymore like it used to. You know, and there's a lot of teams that have abandoned that completely, leaving those kinds of players out. Uh, what do you feel about that aspect of the game while we're talking about that? Well, it's always going to be a physical game. It's just not the physical game that was of like the 2011 uh, Big Bad Bruins. It's uh, it's more speed. It's more skill, but you still need, I mean, look at, the, you know, outside. I mean, Kale McCarr even, like Kale McCarr will, will reverse hit you. He'll play physical. Um, he's more physical than people give him credit for. And he's bigger than I, even, you know, looking at him last year, I looked at him last season and I didn't think he was that big. He, he looked to me like maybe it's just my eyes and I'm getting older, but he looks he looks an inch and a half taller and like 15 pounds heavier. And, um, you know, you need physicality um, in a different sense now than when what you did 10 or 15 years ago. It's about winning battles. It's about possessing the puck. It's about winning battles in front of the net. Um, I mean, you just look at the Tampa Bay defense. They're all mammoth. They're all like 6'2 or bigger. I think I think Zach Bogosian might be the smallest guy back there. And obviously they didn't win it, but I mean, it played more hockey than anybody the last three years. And, um, you know, I, I think that it's there's still a place for it physicality in the game um not necessarily fighting but winning battles getting getting to the front of the net um being able to wear teams down over the course of a seven game series i mean that's what you know that's what the good teams do even teams that you don't think are necessarily big like like the oilers have some physical players the rangers have physical players they can wear you down and that, that's what we're talking about with physicality and you know, when it comes to a team, you know, obviously that we're going to talk about and, and we love the Bruins, they um, they don't have enough of that. They, they don't have enough players who are going to wear you down over the course of a seven game series. And the players that are physical on their team are not their biggest players. Um, you know, McAvoy will definitely hit you. Marshand will definitely hit you. But um, there's just not enough of those players. I mean, Derek Forbert a little bit, but I mean, there's just they need they need a lot of, of revamping, and um, you know we'll get into that. But there there is a place for for physicality, just not in the traditional drop the gloves, uh, you know, sense or dumping and chasing necessarily. I mean, there's that still is a place for dumping and chasing. You see it in the playoffs, but um, in the traditional sense, you're right, it is being phased out. You know, um, when you think about the play of the playoffs, especially, it's like those guys were aggressively on those four checks, like white on rice. And I don't see that kind of play out of the Bruins for the majority of what we were seeing this last season. They like the more, I'm not even sure how do I want to explain their approach, but it's a very defensive approach once again, where it's fall into the trap. I'm going to flip, flip, flip. All right, just go forward. There weren't too many aggressive four checks. You know, that I saw when you compare the apple to the orange, you know, here in the playoffs and the teams that made it that far and where the Bruins made their exit. Uh, I just think there's a big difference. 
Well, there totally is a big difference. Um, obviously, playoff intensity, you know, you're not going to replicate and, and be like that over the course of 82 games in the regular season. But, you know, the Bruins fell into a trap too much of trying to, instead of, you know, you see it on the power play was a perfect example over the course of the season where they would try too often to just carry the puck in and try and, and stick handle through three Carolina Hurricane players who were across the blue line when the play is, and they finally started doing it at the end of the series, was dump the puck in in an area where you can retrieve it and go get the puck. Make the defense, make the, make the, um, the D turn and skate back for the puck and make them play a game in which they're on their heels. And the Bruins just didn't do that enough. And, um, and also I just felt like too, that the Bruins weren't fast enough to get to that, to get to that space, to get to that area, to get to that check that they could initiate the four check and they could keep it going and they could cycle down low. Um, you know, the first couple of lines are capable of doing it in spurts. Um, you know, especially the first line, but, um, I just felt like too often the third and fourth lines were a step slow and um you know in the playoffs they were they were really eaten alive um like i just go back to that that third line uh was a combined minus 16 or 17 for the seven games and um i understand people say well it's not all about plus minus but i mean that's a pretty that, that's a pretty jarring stat I, I don't know how any other way you can you can parse that out so I mean, they need to get better, no question about it. No doubt. All right, well, let's crack lack into it a little bit here and start talking about the bees. All right, let's really go for it here. Um, where would you like to even start when we're talking about this? Cause, well, there's there's plenty we could start yeah, with. I mean, I'll say flip a coin, I guess. <laughs> well, we'll start. We'll get this out of the way. We'll start off with the good news um, before we go good into the bad. Good news, everyone. Um, Pat- Patri- Patrice Bergeron is back on uh, – is coming back on a uh, on a apparent one year deal. Whoop whoop. Terms as of this point have not been officially announced, but um, Joy McDonald, um, I believe of ESPN, has reported that uh, Bergeron has agreed to come back, and um, I believe he's on vacation right now. So they will um, commence that announcement when he's back from vacation. And um, let me start off by saying. Very happy that he's back. Um, the only good news, really, of this offseason. Um, so, you know, that that being said, um, I think it kind of, you know, lets the lets the Bruins off the hook and that they don't have to really try and initiate a full rebuild, um, even though they, they definitely need to retool. But, um, you know, my my concern, while I love – obviously, he's not on the decline. He's uh, at the top of his game – winning the Selkie again for the record-setting fifth straight time, by the way, is that 37-year-old Bergeron is still going to be counted on to play all the big minutes, defensive zone face-offs, offensive zone crucial face-offs, penalty kill, power play, and the bumper, all those hard minutes. And at 37 years old, I just think at in an 82-game season – you'll just get diminishing returns. Um, yeah, you're asking a lot of the old dog. You're asking a lot of them. And, you know, I I just think that... Not that I don't think you can I, do it. I'm just... I agree with you. I think you can do it. I just think that... 
ideally you would like to have a guy there to take some of the burden off him, to have him not have to play those grinding minutes right? and to not have to have him worry about him wearing down. And so you can have Bergeron fresh for the playoffs. And I think the number one priority for Don Sweeney this offseason is finding a legitimate, legitimate second line center. Not, you know, Eric Holub was a nice piece overall last year. He was a nice story. Um, but he is ideally, you know, a middle six forward. He, he's, you know, really suited to be a third line player. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. But you need they need to find a legitimate second line center. And the problem is, is that, you know, they're right up against the cap. They, as of right this second, have about $2.3 million in cap space. Um, they might be able to maneuver another five hundred grand out. Um, but overall, when he says, you know, when Tweeney said his press conference, he's not, he's not going to use the buyouts. I mean, I'm not sure what that leaves you with. Um, and we can get into all the moves and, and such, but you know, Bergeron, I just, I hope that he's able to play this full season. Um, even if, you know, he's probably not going to play all 82 games. He'll have maintenance days, maintenance games for that matter. Probably. But, yeah. um, yep. They really got to try and preserve Bergeron as best they can for the postseason, uh, And that would mean getting a legitimate center that can ideally you'd like him to, whoever they get would like him to uh, progress into uh, a first line player. And that would, you know, how they're going to do it is obviously through free agency or trade that they're not going to, there's nobody in the pipeline to uh, that, that'll take those minutes right away. I mean, we, we've been saying Jack Sidnika's name, uh, you know, since gas was uh, a buck 85, which was a long time ago. So right. we've got to, uh, we've, we've got to turn on to other alternatives here at this point. So I, I just wanted to get your thoughts, Ben, on uh, too, on uh, Bergy coming back. I'm excited. I'm glad he made a choice. I'm glad he didn't wait to the last minute and keep everybody in suspense. And I'm sure get the pressure off him and his family. And, you know, he's got young kids and I'm sure he's to that. Like you said, you know, he's ready to go. Obviously he's been waiting a long time for that captaincy to open up. And, you know, it, it it's very unfortunate that it happened, you know, tail end of his career. You wish you could have had it for a bit longer, but of course the way things happen the way they happen. But, uh, I'm happy. Happy he's back, and hopefully that means that uh, the room can still move forward because, I mean, obviously, coach is gone, so there's your drama gone with whatever that was going on that, you know, we all heard through the grapevines here and there. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. It, it's it's all about moving forward, you know, and uh, the boys got to come together and come to play hockey. And uh, we saw the Colorado Avalanche celebrate like uh, like it meant something. And we can too. And I know the uh, I know every guy in that room saw that game and they were watching just like the rest of us were. And they all said the same thing. Shit, guys, that's got to be us. You know. Well, you hope so. I mean, it, it's um, you know, they definitely need some. The Bruins definitely need some retooling and and um, and it needs some some help, obviously, to to supplement the roster. So. You know, getting into, I guess you want, it's a good segue into um, the second piece of news, which caused uh, Bruins Twitter to, for the most part, abruptly lose their minds and have an aneurysm that Don Sweeney was re-upped to a multi-year extension. Yep. Uh, find it funny 
that uh, there was no press conference to announce this. Uh, I, I know you, you could read the, they could read the tea leaves after that press conference in which they announced Cassidy's firing, who, by the way, is now coaching the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, they did not want to have to answer questions about that in any way, shape or form, because people were not happy. And, uh, you know, my, I have a lot of thoughts on this and it goes deeper to, you know, Don Sweeney is uh, understandably the whipping boy and rightfully so for a lot of, for a lot of things that happen with the Boston Bruins, but it really starts at top with the ownership. You have an ownership in the Jacobs family, Delaware North, who all they care about at the end of the day is postseason and playoffs. Um, now, on the surface, you say, well, that's a good thing, right? The problem is, is that the, the Jacobs don't understand the game of hockey. They don't, they're not up to date with the day to day of the NHL um of what's happening in the game they just they don't really they don't really follow it um i mean and if they did they would have given a press conference um somewhere in the last three years which they haven't last time we heard from them was after they lost the cup in 2019 um you know it doesn't take much nowadays you know this isn't 1959 and you know we don't have a uh, dick clapper and uh milt schmidt around here so you can do a Zoom call from Buffalo. You don't have to, you know, you, you don't have to uh, actually fly into Boston and address the peasants. Um, they don't choose to interact with uh, with the media. Forget the fans. I mean, I, they don't have to interact with fans. No owners really interact with fans. Um, but at least explain the decision making. It, it's so easy to just do a press release. And um, it, it's very... As a Bruins fan, as we all are, it, it, it's disheartening because we know that they're just absentee owners who don't really care about the team. And they have a president in Cam Neely. And let me preface this by saying I love Cam Neely as a player. Um, in fact, I might name my kid after him because I, I thought he was that great of a player. Um, one of my favorite uh, Bruins players of all time. But as a ice hockey executive, as a, as the president of the Boston Bruins, he is not Joe Sackick. He is not Steve Eiserman. He's not even Brian Burke. He's not a guy who has that player personnel background who can have a real back and forth with Don Sweeney. He's just not. He's he's I, I'm not even sure. And again, this is going to sound bad, but I mean, I'm just saying it and saying what a lot of Bruins fans thinking. No one really even knows what he does. You know, he, he's not a guy who is going to sit there. And if he and here's the other thing, if he actually is, then when it comes to player personnel, the, the Bruins have been subpar in player development and drafting. And if he does have input, well, he's failing there, too, because as of January 2022, they have the 26 rated system in the NHL bottom, bottom half of the league, not even bottom half, bottom third. So, I mean, I, I just think if you're going to be an absentee owner, Jacob's family, at least have somebody who has a lot of experience in being a GM and having personnel experience who the, the GM can lean on because I don't think Don Sweeney has a lot of people he can lean on, uh, you know, in the front office. I mean, you, you know, say what you want about Harry Sinden, 
One thing that Harry Sinden, and I think people forget, is that, and obviously it was more or less way before my time, is that Harry Sinden, yes, he lost his fastball towards the end, but Harry Sinden could pick could pick players. That's why he could be so cheap when it came to the negotiating tables that he could find, he could find, you know, the, the diamonds in the rough. He could find guys, um, you know, and draft them low and develop them, you know, whether it be, you know, go through it, you know, Craig Janney fleecing the Canucks for, for Cam Neely. Um, yeah. You know, the, the list goes on and on. And the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that Don Sweeney, the bill is coming due for Don Sweeney and the Bruins because their player development isn't developing players at the rate that their, their players are aging and cycling out. And that's what I mean by the bill coming due. Eventually, eventually Bergeron's going to walk out the door. We don't know what Brad Marchand is going to look like after double hip surgery. He may never be the same player. Uh, I'm not being dramatic when I say that. I mean, look at how the, the, the Capitals – are talking about Nick Backstrom. Right. It all depends on how that player heals particularly. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm not doubting that Brad Marsh is not going to do everything in his power to come back and try and play, but he will, you know, what is he going to look like? You know, in, and there's just not enough coming up through the system to, to replenish that. And, um, and it falls on the management of the, of the Bruins. But I, I really feel like, a lot of the anger should be, and, and it is, and the anger is directed toward the Jacobs family and, and Cam Neely, but it, it's just, uh, you know, Don Sweeney is, is from what they are, you know, the public face of it, you know, the two times a year they really speak. I, I said on Twitter last week or a couple of days ago that, uh, you know, we haven't seen uh, the Jacobs since before the pandemic and Neely and Sweeney are basically Puxatawney Phil. We only see them once a year. <laughs> So, um, which is a great way to put it, actually. They kind of, <laughs> made me they, laugh. They just, um, and that, and I think that leads to the dislike with the fan base is because they want answers, they don't get answers, and they don't really want to answer. And, um, I, I think that's just gonna, that's just leading to the angst you see with the fan base. So, um, Sweeney gets extended. Um, you know, I, I, I have my doubts. Um, about him and player development because you know they say you know Bruce Cassidy was very difficult on the young players and I don't doubt that that's probably true you know you you hear from from some people who cover the team that you know Cassidy would stop practice and freak out and and make them make them run the same drill over and over again or or, or the same uh, play that they were trying to execute or, or break out over and over again um, my thing is is that they still made a hundred managed to squeeze 107 points out of the team last year. You're not going to, there's, there's definitely, they're not going to do that this year. I, I think if you do think that they're going to do that, uh, you're probably on drugs. Now they're going to try and make some moves. I think there's some things they can do and we'll talk about that later, but um, you know, I don't think that the young players that they have drafted are in a position that they're going to all of a sudden come in and make a difference right away. Because here's the other thing is that they blame Cassidy for not playing the young kids. But when you sign Nick Foligno, you sign Thomas Nosek, these veterans, Eric Hall, you know, we just talked about him, but you sign these veterans. They're obviously meant to play on the big club and to play in their, you know, bottom six roles that some teams who aren't under the pressure maybe of having to make the playoffs or under the mandate that it's playoffs or you lose your job from ownership, 
that's how other teams play. You know, they play their young kids and they see what they have. That's right. And you got to get what, what do you want the coach to do? You say play young players, but we sign these veterans. So, so it's like, what do you want me to do? What, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want me to do here? I need, I know that I'm a coach. I need to win games. So am I going to play Thomas Nosek or am I going to play Jackson Nika? And you know, he's obviously going to go with a guy who has the NHL experience and who's a better player right now. Maybe Jack Stavnika becomes something five years from now or next year. The thing about Jack Stavnika is, and look at compare the compare this Ben. You look at Mark McLaughlin. I've noticed more Mark McLaughlin in a dozen games than I've noticed in thirty-seven with Jack Stavnika, right. because because he plays to his strengths. And okay, maybe he's afraid of making a mistake. Well. Regardless of that, be a difference maker. You know, it doesn't take any talent to lay a body check or to block a shot. It takes courage and it takes a little bit of balls and not saying that the kid doesn't have it, but you know, you're in the NHL and you only get so many kicks at the can, you know, you heard different players allude to this. You know, I think Ryan Whitney's talked about, he's like, when you first get up, you got to make a statement some way, shape or form. And if you're just another guy out there, Teams are going to find somebody else. You know, I think when you look at it right now, even just the way he positioned himself at the end of last year, Mark McLaughlin is going to get more of a long look than Jack Stanika, I think, at least to start the year. So, I mean, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that whole uh, whole sediment, Ben. It's it's a crazy concept, but I think you're right, Merrill. And uh, honestly, uh, every, every time someone talks about McLaughlin, too, I got to feel a little bit of pride for the guy because uh, I was lucky enough to call one of his games uh, in the Super 8 final back in the day, um, back when he was in high school. And uh, it was just really cool. At TD Garden, uh, we called his game. So uh, it's always cool to see that dude specifically make a difference. But like you said, it's about making an impact on the ice. Being in the right spot at the right time is all the difference. And hockey is a game of millions of decisions. Of course, some of them are going to be wrong. It's impossible to expect even the best NHL athlete to be 1,000% correct. That's a reserved thing for Andre Vasilevsky, apparently. Dude, I mean, one of the commentators actually said exactly what I wanted to bring up. When he was in net, made you feel like no one could beat this team. And you know what? I'm not the biggest Tampa fan per se, but as a fan of the game, the dominance, the poise, that kind of situation, I mean... I've never seen somebody be so calm under tank fire, mortar fire, live rounds. I mean, the guy is on it's that kind of comparison. You know what I mean? Where's that impact force on the Bruins? Where's that wow factor? And like you said, of course, the star players got to do what the star players got to do. But it's all about who's going to do what. Push comes to shove. Like, you're not going to expect Brad Marchand to go out there and throw a hip check after double hip surgery at some point anytime soon. He probably well, game, will, but he, you know. He probably will, but the game is predicated on mistakes. You know, mistakes are going to happen out there. Everybody turns the puck over. I don't care if you're Connor McDavid or, you know, Nick Felino or, you know, um, just, you know, Jack Ashan. The question is, how do you respond? How do you rectify that and how do you keep pushing to get better and you know i think you know getting into you're talking about goaltending i think that you know i think jeremy swayman has a chance to really take a huge step forward and build off of a really nice first full rookie campaign and be 
that goaltender who, again, he's not going to be asked to make 70 starts, but make 50, you know, make 50, win 30, 35 games. I mean, they're going to need it. I mean, that's one of my things with the Bruins this year is that, you know, we talk about the Bruins make the playoffs if, in my opinion, Jeremy Swayman is a top five Vesna finals this year. Um, you know, that, and that's one of the things we could talk about later. My thing, my thing is, is looking at the Bruins right now, there's a pathway that, that, to, for them to open up cap space. And, you know, when you look at the Bruins roster um, and you just look at, the, again, we've been saying it for eons, it seems like. And now that his contract is more affordable and he has a no move cause that Jake DeBrusque is probably going to finally get moved this off season. I, I feel like between this move, um, maybe another guy who has a no move clause, um, but his value is down substantially from what it was even a couple of years ago, Brandon Carlo. I mean, you look at those two players, that's 8.1 million. Um, another guy that they can't trade right now because he's injured but they might be able to, that they should be able to, because he's basically seventh D right now on this roster is Mike Riley. Um, and that can clear them out, you know, 10 million in cap space. I'll, you know, I don't think personally training Carlo is probably the least realistic um, just because he's a right-handed shot. You've got uh, McAvoy is going to be out for the first two months. And um, he's really their only right D on the roster. That's a true, that's a true right D who could play top, top, you know, four minutes. Um, so he's probably going to be your pair with Lindholm to start the year. And, um, you know, but I, I look at, like I said, trading DeBrusque, whether you trade him for a player, they probably would be, be better off to just try and recoup some draft capital and trade him for draft picks and have the cap space cleared. Um, if they buy out, um, if they actually buy out Nick Felino, that'll buy them, um, I think, 1.5 or maybe 2 million in cap space. And um, like I said, trading Mike Riley. The only thing about trading Riley is that I'm not sure what his status is right now. And a lot of the deals, you want to have the money off the books by the time free agency opens to give you a chance to, to try and upgrade this roster at center, at defenseman. Um, you know, I really feel like they need to make some moves at defensemen because I mean, just looking at it, I mean, I, I think right I think that the best pair they had in the playoffs, like they competed and played well to play to their ability was the third, the third pair with Clifton and Forbert. I thought those guys showed up and played their balls off. Um, so th they definitely need an upgrade at defense. I mean, Clance had talked about Nikita's door off. I'd love to see him. Uh, another guy that they could pick up, um, you know, Erica Branson's another guy. Again, not, you know, Branson and Zadorov aren't necessarily puck movers, but they're more what we talked about earlier. Big, physical, will wear teams down, and they won't wear down themselves. You know, it's another thing. We always talk about teams wearing other teams down, but, you know, part of – being, you know, a strong playoff proven defense is having the ability to absorb the punishment. Now, look at Tampa. I mean, Tampa is Tampa's D is obviously the outlier. They're humongous, but even 
even like you look at the Colorado Avalanche, like everyone talks about Makar and Devontae's. They also had Jack Johnson, who's, you know, 6'2", 230 pounds. Eric Johnson, who's 6'3", 230. And Josh Manson is a freaking beast. He's like 6'5", 230. I mean, those are three humongous bodies on the back end that not only run shotgun with some of those puck moving defensemen, but also can absorb those, you know, 14, 15 minutes a night and can, and can be an impact. I mean, uh, Josh Manson threw some Titanic hits this year, really, you know, game changing hits and scored some big goals too. So, I mean, the Bruins need to find, need to find size and skill on the back end and they need to find a legitimate top center on the on the uh you know i would love for them i don't know how to get your thoughts on this but a guy who i think really i really impressed with and i really respected after this postseason i know people are going to puke is nazim kadri you know i actually feel very similar about that i always considered him to be very much like brad marchand you know another one of those league rats that just got under everybody's skin and that was his game and that was that you know but i gotta tell you when you look at the stats and you look at the numbers and you look at his career path since getting basically shipped out of Toronto, he really has cleaned up his game. And look what he did. You know, now he's lifting the Stanley Cup. And he literally said, uh, did, I don't know if you actually saw the footage yet, but yeah, I saw his, uh, everybody uh, thought I was a liability. Like, Kiss my ass. And then literally skated away. Like, Mike, drop. Wow. No doubt. Like, that kind of made me be like, okay, this dude's actually pretty solid. It took balls to do that on national TV, <laughs> you know, and to take a shot at all of Toronto like that, like, you know, for what they, I'm sure, did and said to him too. That fan base can be another story. We'll not, we'll not get into that. But, yeah, no, uh, all respect to it. You know, when you – the same was said about Brad Marchand at one point, you know. He used to just be an agitator and just be that guy and – you know, now he cleaned up his game and look at him scoring goals, throwing hits, making it happen, points out the Wahoo, and he's just rolling now. Um, and that's really what the NHL's become. So it's good to see. 87 points this season. The guy is going to get paid. Right. Four and a half million dollar cap hit, real money for four, uh, four million. He is going to get paid. Somebody is going to offer him a big contract. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, overall, um, the guy, the guy proved a lot of doubters wrong and, um, you know, my hat's off to him. The guy, the guy is a straight up, I know this isn't a hockey term, but he is a straight up baller. He really is. The guy yep. is just, um, just an amazing talent. And, um, you know, I, I thought that, um, he might be a little, um, his numbers might be a little inflated. It probably are a little bit. I mean, he's probably not an 87 point guy. He's probably more like a 65 point guy, but that's Even a guy still. you want in your team. That's a guy who is going to drag you into the fight, drag you into the fray. And the Bruins need more of that. The Bruins just have too many guys who just don't do they, that. They, they don't do that. At best, they retaliate. They don't initiate and they just sort of, they, they just sort of take it. They they just they need and again, every, and they, never, they need more pricks on their team. Like like Cassidy said, now Cassidy's gone, and again, like the players, the players got what they wanted. They want a new coach, they get a new coach. But 
like I said in the last podcast, it's not like a lot of these guys have a pedigree. The majority of these guys haven't done much of anything in the league. So um, I'm not sure how a new coach, and we could talk about some of the candidates are, are going to, uh, how they're going to fare. Um, but I mean, I just think they need, they need more of an injection of, of honestly downright competitiveness and, and, and downright, um, you know, sticking their nose in there and being gritty. Um, and, you know, we're asking, and here's the other thing too, that I noticed with the Bruins every year, it feels like as more players cycle out, um, all this would put so much pressure on them to now they have to find, you know, a center who can play with some grit, a defense who can play with some grit, um, you know, and oh, by the way, they need to be able to do this, that, and the other and score goals. And, right. you know, it's just unrealistic. This is part of, this is part of the reason why Everyone some needs to of be these things, they need to be developed and by player development, you can't, you're not going to be able to hit a home run just all in free agency and fix all these ills right off the jump. It takes, it takes a while. Yep, and you got to have the right teachers. You know, uh, we had Heath Gordon on. He said the same thing. It's all about the teaching, and that's why players will seek out those top former talents and top talent agents now to get that training in and get that understanding down. Um, oh, look at John John Lounsbury, the same thing. Say, yeah. he, he, you know, one of our uh, great guests we had on, you know, he talked about uh, talked about the same thing, and. Uh, you know, getting players to the next level in, in what we're talking about is more of um, intangibles. I mean, in, in those guys, you know, obviously they develop the skill of the player, you know, on the ice, you know, stick handling, shooting, passing, having, you know, a sense of, of how to take hits, which is a truly underrated skill, but it also, you know, by proxy that breeds, you know, that confidence and confidence breeds a swagger and can, can, can breed some of that other, other, other stuff that we're looking for with this team. Um, we're looking at the free agents right now. And of course, everybody does this, but you've got Kadri at the top. You've got, um, you got Claude Giroux, um, Patrice Bergeron, a, a sneaky one that, I, um, that I would be kind of something to watch for. Um, that I, I would give Sweeney props for if he could get it done was Pierre-Luc Dubois. He's an RFA, but uh, I listen to Overdrive every day. Um, a lot of good insight. Um, it's, a, it's a daily radio show. I listen to it. It would be a podcast for him, though, on the uh, – it's north of the border. Um, but they were saying that uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois has already made it known to Winnipeg that he's going to test free agent water. So if he's already floating out, that he's looking to – you know, move on from Winnipeg potentially. And he's got uh, two years left on his deal. I believe that that could be a guy that, you know, maybe you could make a deal for. Obviously that would be more than uh, just signing a straight up UFA, but you also got to think he's 24 years old. And if you can maybe get him to agree to sign you, there's your long-term answer at center, right? He had 28 goals, 60 points, um, and he's at an affordable number. He's at a six, he's at five and a half, five million cap hit 6.6 6 overall. You know, there's a guy that, that can, I think can, uh, you know, you could cross a lot. It checks off a lot of boxes. Um, so it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting to see the Bruins are going to have to make some serious decisions. Vinny Trocek's another guy 
who uh, who I'd like to see. I was just going to gonna say, he would be a good fit right in that spot there. And second he was a great as agitator. a second-line center, I think he'd be perfect. Some of the best um, Bruins were former Bruin killers, you know, and he is yeah, no doubt. And I would love to have the Bruins not have to deal with him anymore and have him be on our team. Yeah, I mean, Ryan, there's a few other ones that are EUFAs that are interesting. Ryan Strom uh, from the Rangers. Uh, Nick Waugh is a sneaky good player. He's young, uh, 25 years old from uh, – from Vegas, Nick Paul. Um, although I would be stunned. Tampa always, for the most part, seems to be able to sign the, their players unless they look for a huge number. Um, he's a guy that I think might they might be able to re-sign. But Darcy Kemper is a free agent, not for long. Oh, I think Kemp. I, yeah, I mean Kemper's a guy that uh, Colorado's not I, letting him go yet. That was yeah, that, that was I an mean, outstanding but, I mean, performance. But here's the thing, though: if you're Colorado, right? If it's if it comes down between, you know, you paying uh, Darcy Kemper or a guy like uh, like maybe a Nico Sturm, um, you know, or, or or a player like that, I would you know you could almost I mean Pavel Francouz was um, or Francouz, the backup goalie was six and zero in the playoffs. Like I feel like that team is not predicated on goaltending like other teams. Like if that was. If it was Igor Shosturkin, uh, yeah, I think the Rangers would be held over a barrel. But I mean, if Kemper, I mean, it's almost they almost remind me of everyone's like, well, who does who does Colorado remind you of? Obviously, they're wicked talented and highly skilled, but they remind me of like the 2010 Blackhawks, who it was more about the skaters on the ice than maybe they're necessarily um, obviously they're skaters on the ice, but more than they were more. Um, about the entire team rather than just their goalie, because every can you name the goalie that was uh, the starting goalie for them that year? For which team now? Twenty ten Blackhawks. Then they won oh, the, uh, the that was uh, uh, was it not Corey Crawford for some reason? It was not Crawford. It was not Corey Crawford. It was uh, yeah, exactly. But you're proving my point. It was Anti Niemi who replaced really? um, Cristobal Huey. And that's who, right. Who, who, who replaced um, Nikolai Habibulin. So they went through wow. in, the, in a span of a year and a half, three goaltenders, um, all pretty good, but they weren't, you know, they, they weren't, um, you know, 2011 Tim Thomas level. So that they're that good where they don't, you know, they, if they can get, all they need to do is get 900 to 910 and 9, uh, 905 goaltending and they can win because they're that talented. They're the, they're the new Blackhawks really. They, and they might even be better. They're, they're more, and it's crazy to think when I looked at that 2010 Blackhawks team and you look at how dynamic they were, um, <clears throat> they might be more dynamic, the Avalanche. Um, certainly from, you know, Duncan Keith was great. I think he won the Vesna that year, but not, nothing like what you're seeing with Kale McCarr, who's no. basically going like i mean numbers we haven't seen since bobby Orr from the back end just being able to control the game and um you know it, it's you don't even need to be you don't even need to break the puck out when you got him he just you know gets the puck makes a move looks off a guy and blasts up the ice yeah. by the time he'll, you realize he'll just, what's going he'll just on, bring it to you no need on. to no need to pass it he'll just bring it to you exactly i mean it it makes when you're playing with great players like that too, it makes the game so much easier for everybody else. Like when you have a, a player who's just that 
that talented and that much better than everybody else. The players on their team, it just benefits them so much because they can, you know, it just makes it, it gives them more open ice. I mean, and then you look at, and here's the other thing too. You, you think like, you know, that we're not talking about guys who maybe, you know, were, were kind of flashes in the pan, like Jonathan Chichu. You're talking about all world planet players, like, like Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog. And, uh, and, you know, like, here's a perfect example, Valerie Nachushkin. He's a guy, talk about a guy who benefited from playing on the, on the Colorado Avalanche. This was a guy right. who a couple of years ago had no goals and no penalty minutes in 57 games. Like I can't even, I can't even fathom how that's possible for the, for, especially how you saw how he played in the cup final in the playoffs to have no points. It just goes to show you, though, that, A, he had the talent in him, and he was bought out by Dallas, too, which is crazy. They were just like, we don't want you anymore. Get the hell out of here. Yeah, and that but, was crazy. I remember when you they were like, oh, yeah, this kid, this kid's going to be the kid, and then two years later, get out. Crazy. And he also yeah, played, that, for, uh, by the way, in the cup final on a broken foot. The picture is on Twitter. Purple, unbelievable. Purple from his heel to his toe. But, but it just, you know, but it, it's my point is that he's on a team where, I mean, obviously he's a talented player, but when you got a guy like Kale McCarr and Devon Tays, who I wonder how the Islanders feel about letting him get away, Jesus Christ. Um, it just makes the game so much easier for those players. And they just, they always play like they're going downhill. You know, you just, if you go back and you watch them and how they play and how their defensemen just, not only did they, they're not even just standing up at the blue line. They're actually like always pinching. They're always, you know, half the time they're bringing the puck in, they're carrying the puck. They're staying down below the red line. It's there's, they just, it's a new revolutionary style. You know, they play like they're down by a goal with two minutes left the whole game. They make you play at such a frenetic pace. Like your hair's on fire eventually the other team is going to wear down or make mistakes. So, I mean, I, I think Colorado is here to stay for a while. I'm not saying that they're going to win the cup next year. I mean, a lot can happen. Obviously I think we're going to see some uh, player movement this off season, but I wouldn't bet against them. I would not either. I would not either. Uh, Merrill, what's a, what's a, a subject we have on the back burner that we're forgetting about that we wanted to talk about? Next Bruins head coach. You know, I got a, I got a confession to make. I, the best coach that the Bruins could probably have is coaching the Vegas Golden Knights. Not saying that uh, Bruce Cassidy was the greatest thing since Al Arbor. My philosophy has been you either bring back the coaching staff with the, uh, with, with the management group or you fire everybody. And I was in the camp of just fresh start, fire Neely, fire Sweeney, fire Cassidy, start fresh. Um, but that would actually require Bruins ownership to actually do work. And as I named, you know, as, as I, as I stated uh, in the beginning of the podcast, that's not something they're in favor of doing, you know, Charlie Jacobs would rather be on his yacht or on the polo fields, which, you know, on one hand, I can't blame him. I mean, when you're a billionaire, you can do whatever the hell you want, but, but getting back to it, the thing that I think that doesn't get enough play, at, at least by enough people is, the Bruins, you, you saw a sign of kind of how the sausage was made when at the end of the season, because 
the, the Bruins were truly dysfunctional because Sweeney said in his, his exit meeting, according to Cassidy, yeah, he, you, you're safe. Your, your job, you'll be back with the Bruins. You'll coach next year. And the reason why we know that is because they allowed him to fire Kevin Dean, one of the assistant coaches. You wouldn't have a coach who you were going to shit can, you know, f- make a decision like that. So immediately, obviously, everybody who has a has a you know brain activity, who's a Bruins fan, your he- your your, your antenna is going to go up. And then they, f- you know, you hear Cam ne- uh, Cam Neely's comments in the. Uh, in the postseason press conference, they make the decision. Then after a while, like you could see it coming a mile away, they whack Cassidy. And now that's why I think too, you're seeing all these different candidates, whether it's Jim Montgomery, David Quinn, Jay Leach, you know, um, spent, I think his name Spencer Carberry. Um, all the, they brought in this other guy Cronin for an interview Sweeney wasn't planning on firing Cassidy. That's why they're interviewing, you know, all these guys and, you know, my mother-in-law for Christ's sake, I feels like is a candidate for this coaching job. And you hear new guys all the time. It was, you know, it was Jay Leach. Now it's, it was David Quinn. Now you hear Jim Montgomery. They, they bring in, um, you know, they, they've talked to this guy. They've talked to that guy. Joe Sacco is a candidate. They don't know because Sweeney didn't want to fire Cassidy bottom line. And, to me, that is dysfunctional. You, you have to have everybody on the management group on the same page. And again, if the Jacobs were paying attention, they would see what is going on and they would make a decision to either bring them all back, which I was okay with, or firing them all. Um, it's kind of amazing that a guy who was, you know, was in the room when Sagan got traded, was allowed to draft 2015, keep his job for as long as he did, um, you know, whiff on free agents like David Backus and Matt Bolesky have to send a first round pick out the door just to get rid of David Backus um, still has a job. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing, but this is what the Bruins have done the entirety of my lifetime and of my father's lifetime. That's why they've had like four GMs and 4,380 assistant coaches because it's the easiest thing in the world to fire a coach. Easiest thing. Um, but getting back to the coaching shirts itself, um, I mean, David Quinn, I was sort of on board with, full disclosure, but then I really got into reading the reports um, and his time in New York and really looking at you know, his coaching career um, felt like he underachieved with BU with all that talent they had. Um, goes to the Rangers, underwhelming. Right after they shit can him, they go to the conference final. I don't know. You think that's a red flag, Ben? I mean, I truth be I told, think, yes. I mean, that's I not mean, <laughs> that's not a sign of confidence by any stretch of the imagination. Coaches the men's team, the U.S. men's team. They don't medal for the World Championships or the Olympics. It's like. I don't know. Like I, you know, I, 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 I read a lot of what the uh, New York media said about him, what the you know players into intimated about him in New York. Um, a lot of the same things that people here complain or you know in the organization complained about Cassidy about. Um, you know, Jay Leach has sort of grown on me. Um, you know, Keith Gordon, his former uh, 
roommate kind of directed me towards that um, a little bit. And I actually had to dig in a little bit more on Jay Leach because initially, you know, my thing is, you know, listening to what Clancy said too, was, you know, how many former Bruins do we have? But, you know, at the end of the day, if he ends up being the best fit, I'm fine with it because it almost, it almost, I, I know this is going to sound bad. It almost, it, the coach is almost superfluous to me. It's about what is Sweeney going to do to surround this team and infuse this team with talent. That's the, that's the thing. That's the $10 million question. So, I mean, if it Jim Montgomery, he's another guy who had a, who had, who, who had a coaching stint with the uh, Dallas stars. If you remember, he abruptly had to resign because of uh, some personal issues, some uh, alcohol related issues. Um, believe he was able to get that under control um obviously so he's a he's a candidate again um he the last couple of years he was an assistant to the st louis blues and craig baruby um you know he's a guy i would i would listen on you know he, he's a guy he actually he won a champion ncaa championship with denver in 2017 so um he's a guy that would sort of pique my interest so I mean, another guy that I would throw into the hat, they're not going to interview him, but um, that whole issue in Florida with, with Andrew Burnett getting forced out, they brought in Paul Maurice, who I, who was, that was the guy I really wanted as a guy who very well respected in the league um, can develop young players has had a history of success. Um, you know, it would be the perfect kind of mentor father figure and, and could hold guys accountable as Paul Maurice, but you know what? Florida is a better spot. Florida literally and figuratively is a better spot. They're a better team. And, um, you know, they won the president's trophy. Why wouldn't you go there? I, I felt like Andrew Burnett got a raw deal. I would, I'm surprised. I haven't seen anywhere, Ben, that they brought in Burnett uh, for an interview. I would at least bring the guy in for an interview. I mean, he took over for Quenville who after remember that whole felt like 20, 10 years ago, but that whole issue with uh, Quenville being forced to resign for the Blackhawk scandal, uh, Burnett came in and, and did a nice job there. Obviously, they got swept by Tampa, but I mean, he's a guy that I would at least kick the tires on. I mean, he's a younger coach, played a bunch in the league, has a, has a lot of uh, hockey experience. Um, he's green. He's never, you know, this past year was his first year he was a head coach, but at least, you know, and I will say this, it seems like the Bruins are leaving no stone unturned. I don't really love any of the options, but, um, you know, if you were to cat, if you were to handicap it, Ben, give me who you think they're going to hire and who you want them to hire. It's tough for me to even answer that because I don't know that any of the candidates really are the right guy. Um, like we've talked about in past episodes, uh, Clance really pointed it out where enough with the chain, you know, everybody, it's always some Bruins alumni, some alumni go outside the box. Clance said that best. I remember that part. And I really agreed with that most. It's time to look outside of the box. And the problem with the alumni getting in on coaching over and over and over and over, they all played in the same style, and that style is what needs to change. So I'm all on a fresh set of eyes and ears on the situation. Uh, anyone that's, I mean, it, it, 
<laughs> I need the can the right candidate for the job here. I don't know how else to put it. There needs to be interviews. There needs to be process. And I do like uh, 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 Quinn. Uh, I think that might work out. It could be it. I mean, far away circles enough, I guess. But otherwise, I really I'm open ended. It could go either way with me, and I'll be happy. But I just want the right person for the job. I just you know one vote for a reasonable adult, Merrill, please. One vote for one reasonable adult coach. It's all I'm looking for here. The, the only reason why, you know, obviously I, I gave a case why David Quinn, um, I didn't I didn't think they should hire him after I thought initially a few weeks ago, I'm like, well, he's got NHL experience. He's got a rapport with McAvoy and a lot of the players on the team. You know, I just think um, any, but here's the thing about uh, David Quinn is it he's a lot older. He's not a young coach. Like he, like Jay Leach is a 42 year old guy. David Quinn is 55. He looks like he's, you know, 40, but he's 55. He's not exactly a young coach. And my thing is, is that I'm not sure like he's had enough time between his head coaching stints to truly become an assistant coach, get better, be mentored by, you know, um, just, you know, th throw a name out there, like a Peter Laviolette or, or something like that, or a Rod Brindamore. Um, because I mean, look at, I'll give you an example. Bruce Cassidy was after he got fired from Washington, he was an assistant coach for like 10 years before he got another head coaching job. He really, you know, he went down to the AHL and he worked on his craft and he was humbled. And, you know, if you kind of read some of the, some of the uh, comments about Cassidy, his first go around with the Washington Capitals, it was not pretty. Um, you know, if people Google, Google Bates Battaglia's comments on Bruce Cassidy. Uh, it even, you know, Yamir Yager was not a fan of him, but you know, he was a young coach then he was in his late thirties and he learned, but the point is, is that he, he went down to the minor leagues and he learned in a, you know, for a decade, I don't think that, you know, David Quinn has, uh, has had enough time between jobs to really have any introspection. You know, even across sports, I mean, even Bill Belichick, after he got after he crashed and burned in Cleveland, he didn't get a head coaching job 14 months later. He, uh, you know, he toiled as an assistant for a little while, you know, again, you know, before he got back on the head coaching beam. I just um, I just would like to either see the Bruins go for a coach who is going to be the best fit for what they want to be. The problem is, is that I don't know what Don Sweeney is going to do to surround that coach, right? Like, again, look at Cassidy. He says, and it almost feels like he's talking to, a, you know, talking in two ways, Don Sweeney. We need to develop young players. Cam Neely said that. We need to develop young players. Okay, well, don't sign veteran third and fourth liners. They're going to take their spots. Let the, if you're going to let the young kids play, you let the young kids play. But I felt like it was more just self-preservation than anything else. So, well, it certainly is what it ended what up turning happens, into. Man. It's going to be, it's again, I said it last year, and it's even doubled down more this year. This is the most important offseason the Bruins are, have had in the last 15 years. Yeah. And just when you thought last season was going to be that one, nope, it gets more fun from here, kids. Yep. 
Meryl, uh, let's take a spin around. Uh, anything else on the burner we want to cover in this particular episode? And uh, we'll see what else we have. Uh, fans, if you always have questions, comments, you want to reach out to us, by the way, you can do so at causewaykings33 at gmail.com. You can also go to wmexboston.com and uh, just reach out to us through the website portal as well. There's a million ways to go, and hey, there's some good music along the way, too. You know, I specifically play that song from Slapshot every now and again. Nice. Maxine well, Nightingale. Play the old um, Hartford Whalers theme song, Brass Bonanza. But yeah, yeah, Honestly, and, and I have. Book. I have. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's awesome. Da, 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 well, da, da. And to build on, uh, and to build on that too, if you got, if if anybody on Twitter wants to drop me a line or has a question or a comment or just a topic, um, you know, maybe that we should cover, you know, NHL or otherwise, you can reach me at Merrill Marshall at Causeway Marshall One L on Twitter. So that's Merrill Marshall at causeway marshall one l uh, all one word on twitter so can also check the description in this particular uh podcast however you're checking it out uh that is all in there as well we always keep it written down so folks can find us all easy peasy lemon squeezy uh all right so bergie's back bruins are in off season league is in off season and uh where we go from here merrill it's going to be a wild ride, but like you've been saying, you know the Bruins have a lot of work to do. There's a lot of management work to be done. There's a lot of player development work to be done. There's a lot of awkward That'll looks. Work. A lot it of is. awkward looks that got to be put on ownership, and it's been like this for a long time. But it is what it is in that regard. Yeah. Well, I mean. Um... I want to see how the Bruins. Obviously, the Bruins don't have a pick in the first round, which is uh, which is lousy. Uh, I I like to see the Bruins try and find a way to get maybe back into the first round, or at least recoup some draft picks. That that's probably a tall order getting into the first round, but it's going to be as as you know, Clance would say a million times, but it always rings true. It's gonna be interesting because the Bruins have needs um, that aren't easily addressed um with the uh, system that they have so they're gonna have to think outside the box clear cap space make some trades um maybe a player comes up and surprises um i think when we get later on to the off season maybe we, you know when we get closer to training camp we can look at some of the players they do have in their system and see who could uh surprise um you know there's not a lot we could think of right now. I think Mark McLaughlin will get a long look and maybe, you know, Fabian Lysel will get a look. We'll see. I, I think he's still another year, maybe away. I've come off that a little bit, but you never know. I mean, if he has, if he has 10 points in three exhibition games with the Bruins, I think he's going to get a look to start the year with the, uh, with the big club, because um, I'm not sure what his AHL status is, if he has to be 20 or not, but he'll definitely get, if he's, if he lights it up in the preseason, he'll get at least the first nine games before they have to make a decision on whether to send him to junior or uh, keep him on the roster the whole season. But again, that's way off in the distance. Let's see how the Bruins address the issue of, of getting cap of carving out cap space, because, um, you know, I, I think another thing too, real quick to keep in mind, Ben is, is what's the contract that Bergeron signs for 
you know, I, I don't think he's going to sign for the veteran minimum. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be, I don't think he's going to make 6 million either. Um, so we'll see how that all shakes out. Um, but they have a lot of decisions to be made on how they're going to carve out this cap space because they, they have a, they have a lot of needs and they, they're going to have to tread water until Marsh and McAvoy. Um, and if you want to throw Grizzlick in there too, I guess, until they get back. Indeed, indeed. Folks, that is going to do it for this edition of Causeway Kings. Merrill, I want to thank you very much for joining us tonight and letting people hear the truth because, hey, what is the truth but one's opinion heard elsewhere, right? Oh, yeah. My, my dad was a season ticket holder for um, almost two decades up until the mid-90s, so he's uh, he's a guy who knows his Bruins and uh, – has seen it all good, bad, and, and the ugly. So, you know, I, I've, I've in a lot of ways, I've learned from him and also a former Hartford Whaler season ticket holder as well. So cool. Well, we'll look forward to talking to him for sure. Oh yeah. Hopefully someday yeah. we'll, uh, we'll try and get him in here. We might have to entice him with a few, uh, the few, uh, brewskis brewskis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Brewski sounds like a pretty good idea to me. Meryl, thank you. Looking forward to it. Folks, to you, thank you for listening to another edition of Causeway Kings here on the WMEX Sports Podcast Network, found at WMEXBoston.com and all major streaming platforms. Until next time, my friends, be safe, be well. Make sure if you have a fuzzy, furry, scaly, feathery friend in your life, give them some belly rubs for us, would you? Meryl, scaly ones, yeah. Especially the scaly ones. Let's go, go bees. bees.